people in the back. And if you would do us the great favor of filling that card out, we'd just like to send you a note later on this week thanking you for coming. And we'd also like to give you a gift today of some kind. I think we have some left, although I don't see any on that table. But we're glad you're here. We're not going to tackle you before you get off the, off the property or anything. We just want you to know how grateful we are that you're here to, to be with us this morning. And we hope that your experience is a good one. We hope that what happens here draws you closer to the Lord. Because he really does love you and he cares about you. Amen. We've been, we started a journey through the Psalms uh, last week. And we're going to carry on that little series that we've started. And um, I don't know about you, I, I love the Psalms. I read a Psalm every day. It's part of my quiet time. They feed my soul. They continually point me in the direction of, the, of, of God. They remind me of his love for me. They remind me that I can freely express myself to the Lord no matter what I'm going through. Um, I, I find in the Psalms that there is every kind of human emotion expressed from grief to anger to depression, and, and that God really does care about us, that he's there to lift us up, to make us whole, to minister to us in ways that no other being can. Um, and Jesus himself, and the, the, the way the tack we're taking on this is that Jesus himself used these psalms, he sang these psalms in his times of worship, whether it was corporately with other followers of God in the synagogue, or whether it was private. In his worship times, he used the psalms. He meditated on the psalms. He sang the psalms. He prayed the psalms. And you see that in everything he did in the Gospels. He used the psalms when he preached, when he taught. He quoted the psalms in his prayers. Um, he looked ahead to some of the life experiences he was going to go through because the psalms speak clearly of who he was who, who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was coming to do and what some of the experience, experiences were the, that, that the Messiah would go through. As a matter of fact, today's psalm itself is a messianic psalm. And I think it meant a lot to Jesus as he anticipated the suffering that lay ahead of him. I think it helped him understand what he was getting himself into for our sakes. Maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But back in the 80s, here we're going to start. Back in the 80s. Back in the 1980s, some of you weren't even born then. I'm looking around, all you young whippersnappers, y'all don't know much about life yet. Me and John, we've been around the block a time or two. We could tell you some stories, couldn't we, John? But we're not going to do that here. But back in the 1980s, a group of German researchers studied the benefits of kissing. There are benefits associated to kissing, for real. Let me just point out some of the things that these... Can you imagine doing research on kissing? Here, let me give you a kiss and let me see what I get out of it. No. Don't try that pickup line. It doesn't work, Seeger. Don't try it. Good to see you here this morning, bro. But here's some of their findings. These are some of the benefits that come from kissing. Believe it or not, believe it or not, this is what they found. It prevents tooth decay. Kissing prevents tooth decay. It stimulates the flow of saliva and it brings your plaque levels down. It keeps you from having to go to the dentist. By their response, I'm, I, I know who I'm going to have to talk to about setting boundaries for their dating life, Brittany. Kissing relieves tension. When kissing, 
The mouth is in a smiling position, which promotes positive feelings. Breathing becomes deeper, which increases the flow of oxygen, and eyes close to help relaxation. Mm -hmm. You're married. It's okay. Kiss all you want. It slows the aging process. Maybe that's why my wife looks so good. I'm just saying. <laughs> Kissing tones cheeks and tones jaw muscles. Keeps you looking good. Kissing increases fitness levels. It causes the heart to pump and blood to flow. All you married people, give me an amen. All you non-married people. I shouldn't have a response out of you yet. Okay. Kissing boosts self-esteem. When you're kissing, you're happy. When you're happy, you feel better about yourself. All right, guys, this is it. You want a pay raise at work? Kiss more. Seriously. Kiss more. This is what they found. Kissing increases. Yeah, don't kiss your boss. Kissing, yeah, let's be specific. Kissing within Christian boundaries, let's put it that way. Kissing increases productivity. Those who kiss their spouse each morning, spouse each morning, not your boss when you get to work, but your spouse each morning. Those who kiss their spouse each morning miss less work. They have fewer accidents. They earn 20 to 30% more, and they live about five years longer. How about that? You married people go home and practice to your heart's delight. You single people, hey, let's keep the boundaries in place, all right? But Psalm 2 talks about kissing, believe it or not. Psalm 2 talks about an important benefit of kissing. According to Psalm 2, the right kind of kiss can prevent God's judgment and eternal condemnation. According to Psalm 2, the right kind of kiss can lead to a life of forgiveness and freedom and eternal joy. So let's talk about the benefit of the right kind of kiss here this morning. As we get into this, let me tell you a few things about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted at least seven, seven different times throughout the, New, throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself quotes Psalm 2 in Revelation chapter 2 when he warns the church in Thyatira to turn away from sexual immorality, to turn away from idolatry and false teaching, and to live in obedience to God. I think that's a message that the church in America needs to hear today. Psalm 2 fits together in this really cool kind of way when you look at the structure. Psalm 2 fits together in an interesting way with Psalm 1 to help introduce us to the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 begins, if you remember, Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. Psalm 2 ends with the same word, if you read it in the original Hebrew, blessed. Psalm 2, uh, excuse me, uh, Psalm 1 ends with a threat. Psalm 2 begins with a threat. In Psalm 1, the righteous man delights in and meditates on God's law, but we're going to see that in Psalm 2, the wicked meditates. The word meditation there is the same word the NIV translates as plots. The wicked meditates on how to rebel against God's law. In Psalm 1, the theme is the contrast between the rebellion of wicked rulers and nations and the righteous rule. Excuse me. Uh, excuse me. Psalm 1, the theme is the contrast. I tell you, I'm tired this morning. Y'all, 
Psalm 1, the theme is the contrast between the righteous and the wicked person. And in Psalm 2, the theme is the contrast between the rebellion of wicked rulers and nations and the righteous rule of God's Messiah. Psalm 1 consists of two stanzas and six verses. Psalm 2 is almost exactly twice as long, consisting of four stanzas and 12 verses. These two psalms tie together to introduce us to the whole message contained in the book of Psalms. It has to do with the Word of God and its priority, priority it ought to have in our lives. Psalm 2 focuses on the King, the Messiah, to whom we owe our allegiance. Psalm 2 is one of 25 messianic psalms. Psalm 2 looks ahead to the literal rule and reign of Christ upon the earth when he returns. And I believe with all my heart that day is soon. I look around and I see the signs and everything that's going on around us, and I've got to believe he cannot, he cannot stay away much longer. He, I believe he's on the verge of returning at any moment. Psalm 2 talks about that literal rule and reign of Christ that will one day happen here on the earth, but it also has a devotional and a practical application to our lives today. But the central message I want you to understand is this. This is what Psalm 2 really is trying to get across to us today. We must submit our lives to the lordship of Christ Jesus while we still have time. And I don't know about you, but I hear the, cl the clock ticking. We must submit our lives to the lordship of Christ Jesus while we still have time. Time is running out. The story is soon to end. Have you kissed the sun yet? Let's read the uh, psalm together. Let's get into it and study it, and I hope that you will take notes as we go along. I don't think, I don't think we have the, the notes on the app this morning, and I apologize for that. That's my oversight. Psalm 2 says this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off our fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on, Zi my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want you to read that last sentence together with me because that's what I want you to really think about this morning. Say it with me. Blessed are all who... Say it one more time so I won't mess it up. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the privilege of this word, of its warning, of its challenge, and of its promise. We ask you, Father, to speak to our hearts today. I ask you to get me out of the way. I'm simply a messenger. Speak through me today. Help me to say only what you would have me say, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Be glorified in this room today. Let every eye, every heart be focused on you. Let every ear be attentive to your voice. And I pray, God, that you would make every person in this room responsive to this word. Help them to embrace its truth. 
and then live it out in their lives for your glory. We'll praise you, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 2 paints four different pictures for us. And each picture is made up of three verses. So I want to break it down that way. I want us to think of it in terms of pictures. And you might be able to imagine some of the scenes in your mind if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, passages in Daniel, passages in Revelation of the return of the Lord. But whether or not you're familiar with those images and those visions that have been given to us of Christ's return, I want you to just try to visualize a little bit about what this psalm is talking about. Psalm 2 paints four pictures of us, and each picture is made up of three verses. And the first picture we see is one of rebellion, particularly the refusal of man to accept God's authority. Rebellion against God could be described this way, and this is the way I want us to think about it this morning. Rebellion is simply this, reserving for myself the right to have the final say. Reserving for myself the right to have the final say. And from the very beginning, we see that people and nations have, been, have rebelled against the right of God to rule over them. We see it today, don't we? we? We have people today who are doing everything they can to make what God says is right appear to be wrong, and what God has said is wrong appear to be right. And they're telling us if we don't go along with them, we're haters, when the sad fact of the matter is we love them more than they even love themselves because we're trying to protect them from what may be coming down the road for them. But from the very beginning, people and nations have rebelled against the right of God to rule over them. We, we see it in Genesis uh, chapter 3. It starts when Adam and Eve chose to eat the only piece of fruit in the garden that God had forbidden them to eat. You see, Adam and Eve reserved for themselves the right to have the final word about what they should and should not eat, about what they could and could not do. Rebellion is simply the natural state of every human heart. We are all rebels by nature. We don't want anybody telling us how we should live. We want to reserve for us that right. Romans 10 affirms that, or excuse me, Romans 3 affirms that when it says, as it is written, there's no one righteous. Ain't no righteous people sitting in this room apart from the righteousness of Christ. If we had our way, we'd be doing our own thing this morning. There is no one righteous, the Bible says, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. That is the natural state of every human being on this planet except for the grace of God that saves us and gives us a new heart and regenerates us in the likeness of Christ. You see... The natural human state is, we, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to decide for us how we should live. We insist on our right to decide for ourselves how we should live. We insist, as human beings, on having the final say about how we're gonna, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Well, this psalm looks ahead prophetically to those last days when every nation joins in a conspiracy against God. You may have heard it referred to as, you know, uh, the, the apocalypse or Armageddon. But, but I, I want us to think about it more on a personal level this morning. You see, on a personal level, it describes pretty well what goes on inside our hearts on a daily basis. When we say to ourselves, 
let me do what I want to do today. God, I know what you've told me, but let me do what I want to do today. Let me set aside the will of God and pursue my own agenda today. It's my life. God, I don't want you to be the boss of me today. I deserve the right to have the final say about what I will and will not do. I have the right to decide what will make me happy and what won't. Don't tell me to obey you anymore, God. Let me do what I want to do. Does that, am I the only one that struggles with that sometimes? I know you're telling me to forgive my enemies. I just want to get back at them. I want to slander them. I want to stick the, the knife in their back like they did in mine. God, I know you're, ta- you're telling me to pray for them and bless those who persecute me. But that's the farthest thing from my mind. And I get an opportunity today to spread some gossip about them, so let me do it. Come on, am I the only one that struggles with stuff like that? That's where our natural state will take. We, we, we want to get back into that rebellious state of mind, don't we? Did you ever stop to think about God and his response to, to our feeble efforts to rebel against him and his plan for our life? Did you ever wonder what God thinks about it? If you have, then verses 4 through 6 tells us how God responds when we throw up our puny fist and say, God, get off my back. I'm going to do it my way. Here's how God responds. Here's how God responds to all the threats that are thrown his way. Here's how God responds to our culture today, which is trying to throw off his the restraints that he's placed on us, and discard the boundaries that are clearly set out for us. This is how God responds to it. Verses 4 through 6 give us a picture to the way the Lord responds to our rebellion. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God's response is to laugh when we throw up our puny fists and say, I'm going to do it my way! <laughs> I'm sorry, this is the image I get. You ever play that little game with a kid, and he's just swinging, and you just kind of hold him out at arm's length? That's, that's, I'm sorry. I, I, that may be irreverent. I don't know, but I, I'm just saying, that's the image I got. But we find God laughing at our rebellion. He's laughing at our inability to rule over ourselves effectively. He's laughing at our puny efforts to resist his will and do our own thing. He's just laughing. Like, what are you going to do about it? I'm God. And then we seem angry. And this is where it gets scary. I never want to see God as my enemy. But when I set myself up as a rebel against his will, that's exactly what I become. I become God's enemy. And who am I to think? Who am I to think that there's not some judgment that comes along with that? We see him angry, and it's a righteous anger. He's not mad because we're somehow frustrating him. We're not frustrating him. He gets angry. He's angry that we would exalt our own little plan over his. He's angry that our rebellion would cause so much harm to ourselves and to others. 
He's angry that our sin and our selfishness causes so much devastation and destruction, so much injustice and immorality, so much pain and suffering to his precious creation. He has a right to be angry at what we do to ourselves and to other people. Don't you get angry when you see injustice? Don't you get angry when you see someone mistreated? That's a righteous anger. Nothing wrong with that kind of anger as long as it's used in a correct and healthy way. It's, ang it's, it's an anger that in every way is deserved. We need to understand that in spite of our best efforts to have the final say, God's plan will prevail. His plan will prevail. There's a coming day of reckoning. Listen, y'all. There's a coming day of reckoning when man's rebellion will once and for all be squelched, there's coming a day where there will be no more rebellion against God. A day of judgment when every act of rebellion will be accounted for and justice will be dispensed without partiality. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 14 when he says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me clear this up for you once and for all. I am ultimately accountable to God. Not to you, not to this culture, not to my peer group, not to the laws of this government. I'm not even accountable to myself. I'm accountable to God. He sets the standards. He establishes the boundaries. And no one else's opinion matters much in the light of this great day that's coming. That's all that matters. What does God say about this? How does God say I should respond to this? What's God's judgment on the matter? So try as we might to resist and protest the decision. He's God and we're not. And Jesus is firmly established on the throne that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. God has made his son, Christ Jesus, the Lord and the judge of all. None of us, none of the rest of us, really matter all that much. He's God. You're not. I'm not. He is. He will judge. I won't. You won't. He will. Many of us live in a self-deception, I'm afraid. We live in self-deception. We believe that we are the masters of our own destiny that we are captains of our own ship. But let me remind you here today from this psalm that God has declared Jesus to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he ain't going to change his mind. He will forever sit on the throne. Forever. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 only confirms that decision for us. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's God. You're not. He's the judge. You're not. He sets the agenda. You don't. 
He establishes right and wrong. We don't. And then we have the third picture of the psalm. And in this picture, we see Jesus at the end of time given the right to establish his sovereignty and authority upon the earth. Now, right now, it looks as if things are out of control. But may I remind you, they are not. They are not. God has everything firmly in hand. It may seem as if the powers of the enemy are advancing across the... And let me just remind you, no, they are not. I was in a great convention this weekend, and I was reminded of how powerful God is, that he still has a generation who loves him and seeks him and pursues him with all of their heart. There are people right now being released to go and advance the kingdom of God. They are going now to evangelize the lost. Do you know that right now the nation of Africa, or the, the continent of Africa has more believers in it than in North America on a per capita basis? The nation of Nigeria is more evangelized than the United States of America today. What? Oh, yeah. The kingdom of God advances everywhere. It seems as if it's waning here. But I'm telling you, it's not. It's not what it appears to be. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rabbit trail a little bit. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who was the campus pastor at Auburn University, War Eagle. Oh, good, I got some response. This pastor friend of mine did graduate from Alabama, roll tide, but he's at Auburn University. And he was telling me about the openness that he right now has on Auburn's campus to talk to students about the gospel. You see, here's a good thing. This, I, see, I, think, I see it as a good thing. More and more Americans are completely ignorant of the Bible and the gospel and the, the message of Jesus Christ. They simply don't know. They've grown up Christian, but they really don't know anything about the message of Christ. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about because that's who you were. And, and right now there is more openness because people are, they don't have, they're not coming in with all kinds of religious baggage about how God does things. And they're suddenly encountering a God who they find out truly loves them and whose plan for their life really does satisfy them and fulfill them. And those deepest longings of our heart that need to belong, that need to find acceptance, that need to find significance in life. And they're coming in and they've, they've watched this culture literally tank and they're, you know, it's, they're, this culture is being flushed down the toilet and these kids are saying to themselves, I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my kids. There's got to be another reason. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another path. And they are completely wide open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which presents to them a pathway that leads to significance and security and ultimate happiness. And they're embracing that gospel. They thought they knew Jesus, but now they're meeting Jesus, and it's changing their life. I really believe that this nation is on the verge of a third awakening, a great revival that will precede, I believe, the coming of Christ Jesus. So y'all don't give up on America yet. I haven't. You shouldn't either. Some of you guys, I'm looking around at this congregation. 
let me ask you a question. How many of you were not in church two years ago? Two years ago. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? That's, that's almost half the group in this room. Why are you here today? Because you realized the way you were going was taking you to places you didn't want to be, making you a person you didn't want to be. And someone presented to you Jesus Christ and said, you can pivot right here. You can do a 180 right here, and the trajectory of your life can change if you'll trust him. And so now you've begun to trust him. And guess what? The trajectory of your life has changed. Now you kind of like the direction you're going in. Oh, it ain't all that you hoped it would be yet, but guess what? You're on the way there. Your family's being restored. Some of you got careers for the very first time. You know what real love is, a love that doesn't give up on us? Look, I need to get back to the message or we'll never get through. This third picture shows us Jesus. In this picture, we see Jesus given the right to establish his sovereignty and authority upon the earth. There's coming a day when Christ Jesus will come back. And everything that's wrong with this world will be flipped right side up. Where all that is wrong with the world will be absolutely redeemed and transformed and renewed according to the patterns of God. Because he is God's son, Jesus, we see in this third section of the psalm, is given the right to rule and reign over every nation, every home, and every person. And we see in Jesus' hand that he holds an iron scepter. That iron scepter is a symbol of absolute authority and power. And this third picture tells us that those who continue in their rebellion against God, those who insist on their right to have the final say, man, you're in danger. You're in danger. It's not going to end well for you if you continue to persist in this rebellion against God. If you insist on having the final say, it ain't going to end well for you. And we see them being dashed to pieces like pottery. That's a horrifying image, is it not? It's a horrifying image. But let me remind you, this is the same vision that we're given in John chapter 3 about Jesus where it says the father loves the son and has placed everything in the son's hands whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them do you see that the only way to escape God's wrath is to embrace the broken, dead body of Christ Jesus who died on that cross to redeem you from the sin that you did. An innocent man died for the wicked, that the wicked might have life through the, through the, 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 the innocent man. He's our only way out of this judgment that's coming. And judgment is coming. And rebellion will end. We have a choice. Do we lay our weapons down now and surrender our lives to him? Or do we continue to cling to these weapons of rebellion and continue to plunge headlong down this path that leads us to condemnation and judgment? See, that's a choice we have to make. And that's what the fourth picture in this psalm 
shows us. The fourth picture gives us our proper response to the judgment that's coming. And it's simply this, a kiss, a kiss, a kiss. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for kiss can also be translated worship, can also be translated surrender and submit. A kiss from us, the right kind of kiss from us can turn our lives around. The right kind of kiss can change our eternal destinies. Therefore, you kings, be wise, Psalm 2 says. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. Kiss the Son. Kiss, would you just kiss the Son? Say it with me. Kiss the Son. I want you to, I want you to get an image in your mind of you kissing. The son, not the kiss of Judas. You know what I'm talking about. Where Judas, in order to identify Christ on the night that Christ was betrayed, Judas runs up to Jesus, plants a big kiss on his cheek so that the soldiers would know who Jesus was and could take him to his death. I'm afraid a lot of us are better at kissing like Judas. We want to, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on that. We say we follow Christ, but we're willing to sell him out. Is that true or not? I'm a Christ follower until I get around that group of people. And then I plant a Judas kiss on Jesus' cheek and I walk away from it. But more like the kiss of the woman who had been caught in adultery, and she came, she, she was a party crasher. Jesus was in another man's home, and this woman, this woman who had been redeemed from her sinful past, came in and broke a, a jar of precious perfume. And she poured that perfume on the feet of Jesus, and she kissed his feet, and humbled herself before Jesus and worshiped him. That's the kind of kiss I'm talking about here. The right kind of kiss. The right kind of kiss. Kiss the sun. What's intended here? Listen, it's not just some kind of meaningless, throwaway kiss of greeting, which a lot of, I'm afraid, a lot of, when I say us, I'm, I'm speaking about Christendom, the, 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 the church, little c, around the world, we say we, we follow Jesus, but we, we really are more like Christian atheists. We claim to believe in him, but we act as if he doesn't exist at all. That's what I'm talking about. Most of us, most of us offer Jesus some kind of meaningless throwaway kiss when we walk into Sunday morning services and we sing a few songs about how great he is, about how loving he is, about how he makes us feel, and then we walk out the door back to our own agendas again. Enough of that! If we don't represent him well, then stop pretending to represent him at all. Be his child, be his son, be his daughter. Not just in here, but when you walk out the door. Whew, I'm feeling it. Mm. Let's stop offering God these kind of meaningless throwaway kisses of greeting. God, you're so good. 
but I'm going to follow through on my plan this week. What's in, in, well, this is a kiss with serious implications. When, when this psalm talks about kissing the sun, it's a kiss with serious implications. It's a kiss of worship. It's a kiss of submission. It's a kiss of respect. It's a kiss of fearful respect. I know who you are, and I know what you can do, but I love you, and I'm not afraid of you now because your perfect love casts all that fear away, and I draw close because I know you love me, and your power isn't going to be used against me. It's going to be used to protect me and provide for me. It's a kiss. It's a kiss that comes from a, from a grateful heart that's overflowing with gratitude for all that he's done and all that he is. It's a, kiss of, it's a kiss of respect. It's a kiss of adoration. It's a kiss of devotion. It's a kiss of commitment. It's a kiss of loyalty. It's a kiss of love. I would describe it this way. It's a kiss of repentance and faith. It's a kiss of repentance and faith that turns us away from the, right, from the righteous wrath of God and saves us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, and this is what I want you to get through your mind right now. I want you to understand, God wants to save you. Remember what I said last week, he wants to bless you. That's his intent. He wants to bless your life. He wants to make your life count. He wants you to live a fully satisfied, contented life in him. That's what he intends to do. He does not want to judge us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it comes through a kiss. Our response to him for who he is and all he's done through Christ Jesus. It's a kiss of repentance and faith. And with this kiss, when you do it right... And when you mean it, with this kiss, what you're saying is this. I turn away from my sin and I place all my trust in Christ Jesus who died for me. With this kiss, I give up my foolish rebellion and any right I think I have to have the final say in my life. Come on, y'all. Enough. Enough going to God with some kind of passive little kiss, but then thinking you can still live according to your, to your own plans and agenda. It doesn't work that way. With this kiss, I lay down my selfishness and my pride to pledge devotion and loyalty and fealty to the real king of my heart. That's what this kiss is. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone, oh, I, I've been too, I've gone too far, done too much. God would never accept anybody like me. And I'm still struggling anyway. I know I, I may really mean to give him a kiss like that, but when I walk out of this room, oh man, I just struggle with sin. Do you not think God knows the struggles that we have? Do you not think that God has given us remedies for these struggles with sin that we still have and these troubles? Absolutely. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. None of us has seen any temptation. That's too much for us to bear. God always provides a way out. 
Listen, they're a remedy. Are you willing to apply his remedies to your problem? That's the struggle. Are you willing to obey him despite the fact that you want to do it your way? That's the problem. It's a matter of choice every day as to whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Because that's where the blessing lies. That's where the freedom is. That's where the forgiveness is found. That's where the purpose is. With a kiss, the right kind of kiss, repentance and faith. See, the thing is, you don't just kiss him on Sunday mornings. You kiss him on Monday mornings. And you kiss him when you, <laughs> you, kiss him when you walk through the door at 8 o'clock in the morning to that job with that boss who is on your back all the time. You kiss, him, you kiss him on Monday afternoon when you get off work and the traffic is heavy coming down 65. That's where I have to kiss the Lord a lot. That's my kryptonite. I just want to scream at people. And I joke about it. I'm going to lose my Christianity here. But that's where I have to remind myself, no, no, no. I, I know I want to scream and yell at those fellow drivers but that would be a slap in the face of God, not a kiss. It's a choice that we make to submit our plans, our, 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 our agendas to his, to live his will out, not our own. With a kiss, this direction of our lives has changed. With this right kind of kiss, repentance and faith, we give up rebellion and we gain a relationship with the God of the universe. With a kiss, the right kind of kiss, it's amazing what happens. There's a legal transaction that takes place and we no longer face condemnation and punishment but justification and blessing. With a kiss, the right kind of kiss, repentance and faith, and it's, it's a kiss we need to make every day. <laughs> kiss him on the cheek every day and mean it. With a kiss, the fear of punishment is gone and an eternity of freedom and joy begins. And you talk about the benefits of kissing. We can joke about it and laugh about it, but my question for you this morning is this. Have you kissed the sun today? Have you kissed the sun today? Have you acknowledged that he is God and you are not? Have you turned from your sin and placed all of your faith in Christ Jesus? Have you kissed the sun today? Have you kissed the sun today? Have you given up your right to have the final say in your life, to respond to life's situations and problems your way? Have you given up the right to have the final say? Have you given up your rebellion? Have you made Christ Jesus the Lord of your life? Not just with a swift kiss on the cheek on a Sunday morning, but by drawing close every moment of every day Verse 12 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in Christ Jesus today? I'm going to end this way, just with two simple applications. I really want you to take these home. First of all, if you have not yet kissed the sun, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm telling you there's a day of judgment coming where you will like it or not. I want you to be aware of that. I don't want you to leave this room thinking that God's hunky-dory with the rebellion in your life. He's not. I want you to know that Christ Jesus paid the penalty 
for your rebellion on the cross when he died in your place. And we know that the payment was enough to pay for all the sins of mankind because on the third day, Jesus rose again to life. And because he lives, we too can live. And his blood covers our sins and our rebellion. And at the moment you kiss the Lord out of repentance and faith is the very moment your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit himself comes to live in your heart to lead you and guide you in the path that will take you home to be with him forever. And all the promises of God made in his word will be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That's the first application. Kiss the Son while you still have time. Kiss the Son while you still have time. Time is running out. But the second application I want to point out, and I haven't fully developed this in my mind. I didn't have time this week to do it. I started, but I couldn't get through with it. So I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there because I want you to think about it this week. Because I know there are many in this room that have kissed the Son. You have repented of your sin. You've turned away from your rebellion and you've placed your trust in Christ and you are doing the very best you can to live for the Lord on an ongoing basis. And I say, praise God. Don't quit. Persevere. But as I thought about this psalm and its influence on the life of Christ, I, I, I kept thinking, he read this psalm, but he read it. It was about him, right? It was about him coming to earth to face the hostility of a whole world that opposed him and everything he stood for. And we see that on display in the Gospels. The world hated Jesus. And this is what Jesus said. Yes, the world hates me, and because they hate me, guess what? They're going to hate you too. They're going to hate you. They're going to oppose you at every turn. And some of you right now, you are doing the best you can to live for Christ Jesus, and you find that you're constantly having to fight through the opposition to keep walking this life out for the glory of God. That opposition may take the form of a family member that keeps reminding you of what you've done in the past and will not let it go. It may come from a child. You're trying to restore your relationship with them, and they keep telling you, I'm not ready for that, and I never will be. And you find yourself discouraged by the opposition that you face in that area of your life. Some of you have, are, are finding opposition from bosses who keep trying to get you to do things that are ethically and morally incorrect, and you know it. And they tell you the only way you're going to keep your job is to do this my way. But you keep saying to yourself, but your way is not God's way. And you find yourself in opposition against a culture that constantly and consistently preaches its message of sexual immorality of impurity of every form. They've taken wrong and made it right. They've taken right and made it wrong. And you find yourself constantly, it's like a fish swimming upstream. You're trying to live for God, and they keep calling you names because you won't go along with them. And you've got a choice to make. Will I kiss the sun today and stay true to my Savior, live for him as my Lord, or am I going to cave into the pressure that I'm facing just to get along? That's tough, man. This is a political year, and it's going to get tougher. 
to those of us who have trusted the Lord as Savior, and we are trying to live for the Lord as obedient servants, let me remind you that Jesus knows all about the hostility we're facing. He knows about all the temptations that lie out there. He was a man, just like us, right? He was tempted and tested in every way. He knows about our weaknesses and our defects because he lived among us. He faced every issue that we face, and yet he overcame, right? So yes, the world hated them, and the world will hate us, but he said, don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. And through him, he promises, we will overcome. I want, you to, I want to take you back to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, look up Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. It's a message of encouragement to us today. If you find yourself running in the headwinds of opposition, if you find yourself being opposed in your desire to, to live for the Lord by temptation or, or persecution or troubles or problems, you find yourself on the verge of giving up, on the verge of becoming so discouraged, overwhelmed by discouragement, that you want to quit, throw up your hands, and walk away. I want to remind you that Jesus let this psalm, I believe Psalm 2, informed him of the hostility he was going to face, and it helped prepare him for, for the opposition that he was going to encounter with every step he took that took him to the cross to die for us there. He didn't, he didn't see death as his final destination. He looked beyond the cross to see the victory and the joy that lay ahead of him. I want you to do the same thing. Stop looking at the difficulty you're in as being the destination. This is where, this is all I'm going to, this is it right here, boy. This, this, this overwhelming discouragement is never going to get better. This disappointment, it's never going to end. This struggle with temptation, man, I'm going to be stuck with it forever. You've got to see beyond the struggle that you're in, the problems you're encountering, the opposition that's in your way, because there is a joy, there is a joy ahead of you that is going to blow away all the pain and the suffering that you've been through here. I think Psalm 2 helped Jesus prepare for that. And I want Psalm 2 to help us prepare for it too. Here's what Hebrews 12 2 and 3 says. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Psalm 2. King forever. King forever. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think sometimes, folks, we have lost the eternal perspective we ought to have on our situations. We are consumed by our troubles when we ought to be consumed with our worship of God. 
who says these troubles are temporary and these light and momentary afflictions will achieve for us a glory that will far outweigh them all. I hope that makes sense to you. I want you to go home and think about that just a little bit because some of you are caught up right now in your troubles, in your struggles. Oh, man, these troubles, these struggles, all they're going to end up doing is making you better, making you stronger, making you more holy, making you more godly, making you more Christ-like. You're going to find yourself turning back to help others work through these same issues that God's taking you through right now. Don't get caught up looking at the shame and the scorn of the cross. That caught, you know, I know, it's not easy. It's not easy to die daily to yourself. But yet that's the only way to follow Christ. is to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him. He's God. You're not. It's his will, not your own. You see, the battle... I believe the battle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, let this way pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The battle's going to be won in your private prayer closet with God. I'm going to kiss you today, God. I don't care what my heart wants to do. I don't care what my flesh tells me to do. I don't care what the boss says I should do. I don't care what anybody says I should do. God, I kiss you today. You're my Lord. My life is submitted to you, surrendered to you. Not my will, but your will, Lord, today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to get the band to come back, and we're going to worship the Lord for a few minutes, and it's hot up here. Are you guys hot?